The first of our Bible readings tonight comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through to 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caroline. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you all tonight. Uh, If I haven't met you before, my name is Ben. I'm the community pastor here. And I'm really excited to speak to you about kindness, the fruit of kindness. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like kindness is rare these days. When I think about our world and our culture, I don't see much kindness. I see plenty of sledging. I see plenty of polarized politics. I see plenty of keyboard warriors on the internet, but I don't see much kindness. In fact, when I used to live in London, I came back for a visit to Brisbane, and I'd gotten so used to the people that I'd hung out with in London that I'd forgotten how sarcastic we can actually be in Australian culture. I wasn't used to it, and so I was just surprised by how people interacted with each other and and paid each other out in Australia. And I wonder, if an outsider, a complete outsider, observed the way that the average Aussie interacted with one another, would they conclude that we are kind? I think kindness is rare in our world. I think the main reason our world isn't the kindness of places is because it has a worship problem. In Psalm 115, the writer makes fun of these idols, these statues that people make. He says things like, they've got eyes, but they can't see. They've got ears, but they can't hear. They're blind, they're deaf, they're mute, they're dumb, they're dead. It's a statue. Why are you worshipping it? But then he goes on to say something really profound in verse 8. He says, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. In other words, you become like what you worship. Now, in the West, you don't see people worshipping statues, but we worship all sorts of gods in Australia. We worship money, status, sex, power. And inevitably, we become like 
what we worship. We can either worship the God of kindness and, and become kind to people, or we can worship something else. We can worship harsh gods, like money. Let me give you an example of how money worship affects us, the kind of culture that it creates. And I'll give you an example from my own life. When I lived in London, I was looking for a job at one point, and I applied to, to be represented by a recruitment agency. And so this recruitment agency uh, called me in along with 49 other applicants. Apparently, we had to be interviewed and whatnot for them to represent us. And so there were 50 of us there, and it wasn't a pleasant experience. The guys at the front were, were boasting about how much money they were made and saying that we had to prove ourselves to be represented by them and maybe we can make as much money as them one day if we're good enough. And, and then they split us into groups of eight. They sent us to different rooms and they gave us a scenario. And the scenario was, there's eight of you on this boat. It's sinking. You need to choose which three of you will drown so that the boat will survive. And so it became this popularity contest about convincing each other why we should be kept in, and that eventually the group had to choose which three would drown. But it got worse than that. We went back into the room of 50 people, and the instructors got a person from each group, and they said, who was the worst person in your group and why? Tell, tell all 50 of us. It was harsh. That's what the religion of money creates. In the religion of money... Kindness is not encouraged. Competitiveness is. And we have a worship problem. And it's messing with our world. And that's why it's actually a little bit scary to be kind in our world. It feels like we're opening ourselves up to be taken advantage of. It feels a little vulnerable to do something kind to someone else in case it gets thrown back in your face. I remember uh, catching the train to uni here um, in Brisbane, and I remember being on peak hour, in the train on peak hour, and a lady came onto the train, and I got up to offer her my seat, and she got really angry at me about it. What I thought I was doing, I thought I was being kind, but I felt like a fool. Kindness is kind of scary in our world. In fact, our world makes us feel like kindness is weakness. That is something soft and naive, reserved for people who have their heads in the clouds. But whether you believe in God or not tonight, can't you admit that you want to receive kindness? We all want to receive kindness. None of us want to live in a harsh world where we have to watch our back all the time. Keanu Reeves, the actor, he said, I don't want to be part of a world where being kind is a weakness. We all want to be treated well. We all want kindness. We just don't often want to be the first one to put ourselves out there. But the truth is, kindness has already erupted in our world through Jesus. And his kindness is in turn creating a kind people and a kind world. The kind of world that Keanu Reeves wants to be a part of and the kind of world that all of us want to be a part of. Now, I don't know if this is your first time here tonight, but we're in the middle of a series right now called A Beautiful Life, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. You see, God wants to make our lives in this church beautiful. He wants to work in us, and he's accomplishing it through his spirit. And when the spirit of God works in us, he, he brings results, and we call those results fruit. And so we've been looking at the fruit of the spirit, starting with love, and then joy, peace, patience, and tonight, kindness. 
kindness. Now, we've talked a little bit about our world's lack of kindness and our desire for kindness, but are we clear on exactly what kindness is? This is our first major point tonight. What is kindness? Well, in Ephesians 4 verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another. The Greek word for kindness here is the word krestos, krestos. And in our context, it means kind, loving, benevolent. And it's also linked to generosity. It's like a, it's like a gen, I imagine it's a generosity of spirit, a desire to be generous and to do good toward others. That's kindness. And we see here that kindness largely refers to an internal reality. It's a desire to be generous towards others. It's a, it's a loving disposition toward others. And if it's true kindness, it usually flows out into real actions. In other words, kindness or being kind is more than just being polite. It's more than just a fake word or a cheap smile. It's real desire to do good to the person in front of you. And that's why it often flows into real concrete actions. And that's also why Timothy Keller, he gives this definition. He says, it's practical kindness with vulnerability out of deep inner security. Kindness is not weakness. Kindness requires great strength and a deep sense of security in God. Because it's risky to open yourself up in a harsh and hateful world. And it's pretty much guaranteed that you will get burnt at some point if you choose to live a kind life. Christopher Wright, in his book on the fruit of the Spirit, shares one of the most powerful examples of kindness I've ever heard of. He said, Richard Wormbrand, the Romanian pastor who was imprisoned and tortured under the communist regime, tells of how one day he was back in a cell with other people after he had been tortured. It was freezing cold, and he was hugging his only blanket for warmth. Then he saw another prisoner shivering with cold in the corner with no blanket. He hugged his own blanket more closely to himself until the thought came into his mind. If that were Christ, would you give him your blanket? The question answered itself. He gave the man his blanket. See, Richard Wormbrand, when he imagined this, this prisoner as, as Jesus, he began to be filled with a desire to, to do good to him. And that overflowed in the concrete action of giving away his only blanket. That's kindness. That's biblical kindness. And what I want to know is, where did he get that ability from? How was he able to exercise kindness when he practically had nothing left? I mean, he had just been tortured. How did he have even the capacity to, to think of others, to do good to others? How was he not just licking his wounds and self-consumed at this point? And I believe the reason Richard Wormbrand could extend radical kindness to someone else is because he had first experienced the life-transforming kindness of Jesus. Jesus is where we get the power for kindness. This is our second point, the power for kindness. You see, Jesus, even more than Richard Wormbrand, experienced pain and disgrace. The Bible tells us that he submitted himself to the shame of crucifixion. It was a public death that the Romans used to disgrace their victims. 
And in the midst of that humiliation and in that suffering, Jesus was still thinking of others. Jesus was still filled with a kindness and a desire to do good to others. And don't just let it off in your mind thinking, oh, he was God. No, he was fully human as well. And this Jesus, it says in Luke 23, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said to these people who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In John 19, it says, when Jesus saw his mother there at the scene of the crucifixion, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. He wanted to make sure, even in the midst of his agony, that his mother was being taken care of. Jesus is the epitome of kindness. He is the absolute epitome of kindness. And in fact, he wasn't just loving the people around him in that moment on the cross. He was loving the whole world. He was expressing his kindness toward you and to me because he was bearing our sin for us. You see, not only was he experiencing physical torment and social shame, but also the spiritual anguish of God's judgment. Our sin and evil, we don't like to talk about this, but it deserves judgment. God's not an angry God. But he is just. He will not overlook evil and wipe it under the rug. But yet he desires to do good to humanity because of his deep kindness. So what was he to do? It seems like an impossible conundrum. Does he forsake kindness or does he forsake justice? But you see, the cross shows us that God didn't forsake either. At the cross, we see kindness and justice mixed together. God showed his kindness for us by submitting himself to the just judgment that we deserved. The God who deserves unending praise took the form of a servant, Jesus Christ, and submitted himself to death, even death on a cross, for our sake. Can you see the kindness of God in the cross Paul said to Titus in Titus 3, he said, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You know, when I think about God's kindness towards me about how sinful I was and how sinful I still am it melts my heart all those things in verse 3 were true of me I was once foolish disobedient deceived enslaved and I still battle with those things but God got a hold of my heart in 2009 when I heard the gospel I believed it and it's been a rocky journey but God has been with me the whole way through he has never forsaken me And his consistent kindness towards me, when I think about that, it makes me want to be kind toward others. Only when we have received the boundless kindness of God 
do we discover the resources to, re- to extend risky kindness toward others? When we see that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not then conclude that along with him, he will give us all things? You see, Christians are the wealthiest people in the universe. Your future is very secure because God in his kindness has promised you all things. I don't know where your super balance is right now, but your balance in the next life reads all things. That's a very secure place. It's not just secure, that's, that's abundant. God has given us a share in Jesus' inheritance in the new creation. We are so rich in Christ, so rich and secure that we have the abundance to be generous, to give away our only blanket in this life, to give money to those who ask, to be vulnerable and to perform risky acts of kindness for the sake of God's glory. Because what can man do to us when we're secure in the kindness of Jesus? And you know, the Spirit who lives in us is very kind. I love the Holy Spirit because no matter how much you or I grieve him and turn our backs on him and be stubborn, he remains with us, he loves us, and he continues to be kind to us. He continues to commit himself to molding us into the image of Jesus. I don't know if you resonate, but there are times in my life where I'd felt that I'd blown it, that I was too far gone for God. And again and again, I've been reminded that we serve a kind God. Even Titus 3 tells you and me that he never saved us because of righteous things we had done. He saved us out of sheer kindness, out of complete mercy. That humbles us and that fills us with a desire to do something of the same to others. This is where Richard Wormbrand found the power for kindness. This is where we find the power for kindness. We find the power for kindness by first receiving Jesus' kindness toward us and by secondly relying on the resources of the Holy Spirit in us. So the question for the Christian now is, how can I cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he grows the fruit of kindness in my life? What can I do? This is our third point, the practice of kindness. The practice of kindness. Kindness is an active thing. It's something that we can pursue in our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honor. Kindness is something we can and should pursue. So what does that look like? Well, let's go back to our verse, Ephesians 4 verse 32, where we read that earlier, and it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from this verse alone. And I think the first thing we have to say is that kindness is developed by meditating on the kindness of God toward us. Kindness can be developed through meditation. Notice how Paul gets the Ephesians to to meditate on God's forgiveness in order to motivate them. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. The reason being because in Christ, 
God forgave you. When we meditate on God's kindness, on his kind actions toward us, including those things like forgiveness, it motivates us to walk in kindness. Kindness can be developed through meditation. This is what we've been doing for most of our time together tonight. We've been meditating on all the kindness that God has shown to us in Jesus. We've been meditating on the kindness of Jesus toward others at the cross, towards us at the cross, the inheritance that he's given us. This is something that we can do to fill ourselves with the fruit of kindness. And you don't have to wait. In fact, you shouldn't be waiting until a Sunday sermon to do this. Christianity is about cultivating a day-by-day relationship with God. And so how can you meditate on God's kindness day by day? Well, there are so many opportunities to meditate on God's kindness around us. We see his kindness in the sun that shines in our faces. We see his kindness in the clean water that we have access to. We see his kindness in the food that he puts on our tables. We see his kindness in the children that he gives to us. We see his kindness in the friends that surround us. We see his kindness in his patience with us. We see his kindness in his dying for us. We see God's kindness around us, and we see God's kindness when we look back at the cross. There are so many opportunities to meditate on God's kindness. One of the other things that we can do is is set a rhythm in place to help us with this. You might establish a, a daily Bible reading routine. You might establish a daily prayer time. You might establish a weekly rhythm of, of worship and rest. There are so many things that we can do to meditate on God's kindness. But one thing I just want to share with you guys tonight is something that I've been finding particularly helpful lately. Um, something that I've been doing is just paying more attention to what's going on inside of me, to my own emotions, feelings. And uh, lately when I've been at home, um, if I'm feeling a bit grumpy or off or um, tempted or tried in any way, sometimes I'll just realize that's happening and I'll tell my wife, Michelle, I'm feeling like this, I'm just going to go for a 10-minute walk. I just walk down to the park, walk back, takes 10 minutes, and I just tell God what's going on. I just tell him how I'm feeling. I process it with him. And then I receive his kindness. I meditate on his love. And nine times out of ten, I arrive back at the door and I feel refreshed. I feel resettled in the kindness of God. Kindness can be developed through meditation. The second thing that it can be developed through is tenderheartedness. Tenderheartedness. So the word compassion in in verse 32 that we read before, that can also be translated as tenderhearted. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another. Kindness and tenderheartedness go hand in hand. And like we said earlier, kindness refers primarily to an inward reality. And the same goes for tenderheartedness. It's, it's not an action that we do, it's a feeling that we feel. It's an attitude that we take up. And it's something that we can develop through empathy. Especially when we're listening to someone else, we can try to remember how we felt when we were going through their situation or at least imagine how they are feeling. And it's something that helps me a lot, actually, as a pastor, when I'm listening to people and praying with people, just trying to imagine how they must be feeling almost always fills me with a tenderheartedness. It fills me with a a desire to be kind and to support and to love the person that's sitting next to me. We can cultivate kindness by cultivating tenderheartedness. Those are two practical steps that we can take to cooperate with the Spirit. 
as he grows the fruit of kindness in our lives. Meditation and tenderheartedness. But I suppose the question is, will you cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he grows or wants to grow the fruit of kindness in your life? Will you give your worship to Jesus? Or will you worship what the world tells you to worship? I believe that if you commit yourself to growing in kindness, you cannot estimate the kind of impact that you might have on the lives of others. Let me share with you some words from Stephen Whitmer as he talks about the life of Rosaria Butterfield. These are Stephen's words. He says, In her memoir about the journey from being a committed lesbian to a committed Christian, Rosaria Butterfield says that as a non-Christian, her impression of Christians was that they were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, and afraid of diversity. After publishing a critique of an evangelical Christian group in a local newspaper, she received an enormous volume of polarized responses. Placing an empty box in each corner of her desk, she sorted hate mail into one and fan mail into the other. Then she received a two-page response from a local pastor. It was a kind and inquiring letter, she says. It had a warmth and civility to it, in addition to its probing questions. She couldn't figure out which box to put the letter in, so it sat on her desk for seven days. It was the kindest letter of opposition that I had ever received. Its tone demonstrated that the writer wasn't against her. Eventually, she contacted the pastor and became friends with him and his wife. They talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. Their friendship was an important part of her journey to faith. You see, kindness is not a virtue for the naive. It's a weapon that wields great power. And it is our only proper response to a God who has first shown infinite kindness toward us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, we don't know what to say to you. You have shown us kindness upon kindness, Lord, and we receive that from you tonight. We accept it. And Lord, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight, that you would fill them with your kindness to overflowing, so much so that they feel the freedom that comes with that and they feel the desire to do good to others, even if, if it means putting themselves at risk. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Have your way in this church. Fill us with the fruit of kindness. Ripen this fruit in our church, in our community, in our culture. We want to be like you, Jesus. And so we entrust ourselves to you. We love you and we worship you in this place tonight. We pray this as your people. Amen.